Today's show is sponsored by Texture. Get your favorite magazines right on your phone. Just visit texture.com slash badchristian for your seven-day free trial. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Drei, zwei, eins. What does that mean? Bad Christian Podcast. For the post-Christian world, we are the voice of just this generation. Welcome to the voice of a generation. We want to welcome all of our German listeners. We just want to make sure that people understand. Yeah, we we are very multicultural. We may be uh, white. Wait, Germans don't believe in God. Oh, gosh. Oh, Joey, do you still think of yourself as speaking German? Like, you don't really speak German. You took, what, two years of German, which, I mean... Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch, aber... You've never been to Germany. You've never needed it in your life. Do you, do you think of it as, like, you should have definitely learned some a different language or a different taken a different class altogether? Or did you have to take language, ich, maybe? Ich bin nicht sicher, aber... Hey, ja, hey, watch du it. Hast Rex, I know it's... What a great beginning no, to a podcast. No, basically, I get you. I understand. Spanish is probably a better fit. But if I was in the corporate world... you're bad at English. German, <laughs> um, German is actually super handy. Uh, Bayer is a German company that's uh, super big in the, the southeast. Aspirin? Porsche. Right, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, y- you know, for BMW. sure, this is one of those things that goes in the category to me of... Yeah. That's people British, think no. pretty goofy about foreign language. Like, what is the damn point? Yeah, some people use it, but mostly it's a waste. And people go, well, but the children, they learn it so easily. Okay. Yeah. But for what? <laughs> they, Who people cares? do love saying that. They just love children to say Children learn that. different languages so easily. They love to say that. And I say, well, learn a damn computer language or anything right. that could possibly be useful, <laughs> but speaking German ain't. Google Translate's got it under control. Let's move on. Like, I understand it's cute that a kid can learn French natively if she has a nanny. Fine. Anyway, back to reality. <laughs> That is so funny. I Learn remember a computer when language. Let's go. we were living in Charleston, uh, and Ruby was in kindergarten. They taught. They love I think it. They taught Spanish or something. And um, I was unbelievable. Like, Our daughter. I I did. I, said, I was like, "Yep, Ruby's actually learning Spanish mm-hmm. right now. She can count mm-hmm. all the way to ten in Spanish. It's just so easy." And I was for really her. proud. <laughs> it's okay. Fine. Good. Good. I mean, I, when we moved to Franklin, I even asked. I said, "Do y'all have like a Spanish or a French program?" <laughs> Well, people will make the argument because whenever they feel challenged on something like this, that I'm being absurd and not just about to go. But it actually is good for the brain to learn multiple languages despite if they ever use language. Whatever. But still, I would still argue computer language it would be just more useful. Well, I be- I fully believe that that at some point everybody will speak the same language. Now that sounds like I feel like Joey, you might. It'll just know be this. seamless between the, languages. Google Translate already does that. You can put yeah, in an earpiece the, yeah. and hear the person talking in your native language. So no, but what I'm saying is, out. in fact, possibly fast forward many years in the future. There won't even be English or Spanish, or, and it won't be translation. It'll be Probably. everybody will speak some one form of language, like a computer code or well, something look, like that. That brings me to another thought that I wrote down the other night, which is funny because it's like people, the Christians, of course, will resist one language. Hold on, hold on, before thing. yeah, that's what I wanted to ask yeah. Joey. Uh, isn't that uh, one of the like Tim LaHaye things, Leahy or whatever end time things? Everybody will speak the same language, one world government. Is that all together? I don't know, but I think the big one is a one world economy. 
That's well, the, the, the big the was supposed right. to be that. Like if they if they go to Bitcoin, then that's what whatever. Ooh, but what Bitcoin I'm saying is, is of the devil. Here's Bitcoin the thing: is of the devil. Christians. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Christians should, by the way that they duped. talk, they should resist Bitcoin entirely, and every other thing that's like this. But they're lucky because the language, you know, they, they'll figure out a way to get out of it. But here's one I was thinking of the other day. We know when you get the computer chip in your head, people are going to say it's Mark of the Beast or whatever, because yes, that's the language is, of the Bible. How lucky is it? For Christians, that the Bible didn't say anything about you know smartphones. Like if it just had had that language in it, <laughs> they wouldn't not take the smartphone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they they would just have a workaround. Right. So probably whenever it does happen, the, we know what what Christians what we tend to do is just come up with a workaround and just say, well, that was for this and that was for, you know that's how we do everything. But how inconvenient would it be if it actually kind of named a smartphone, but with that with a different language that clearly <laughs> described one uh, physical object that gives you all the answer? And, you know, if there, it, yeah. it could be in there, and how inconvenient would that be? <laughs> you know, well, be, what's funny too is it. if it was in if it, it was in Levitical law, it would totally be discarded altogether. But we'd still talk about the man does not lie with another man. It, I mean, when people throw that verse out there, I understand. Uh, I, no, I, I don't understand anymore because that is in the middle of the most preposterous laws ever. It is just so funny when people throw that one of uh, as, as, as funny. Speaking of the Bible, though, Matt, you told me to listen to a podcast, and I did. So what? I, I that do in and of itself I is do, a miracle. I do listen to secular podcasts once in a while too. You better watch out. This, You're going to change your thoughts on things. Yeah, like this is a secular podcast. Uh, there was this uh, guy named Bart that uh, was. <laughs> He's, uh, you know what? Oh, I'm sure God. people know this conversation. It was a couple of weeks or two ago, a week and a half ago. It was Sam Harris and Bart Ehrman on what is Christianity. This is the one you're referring to because I sent it to you. Yeah. Right? Well, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make two. Big statements, and then we can get into maybe the finer points of that. But first of all, can you I tell people who Bart is? You didn't even know his last name. Can I please acknowledge something? I don't think that I am the first or even second smartest person talking right now. So, Matt, please don't interrupt me saying, Joey, jo no, Joey, Joey. I am going to be talking from. Maybe a different so plane humble. level of yours, and I don't need He's to be interrupted plane level. and called stupid right now. <laughs> All right, so you can say a different plane. You don't have to also include the level. <laughs> I'm on a different plane than you. All right, so two things. First Drop of all, some plane level. These guys, when they're talking, so both of them do not believe. Uh, Bart, who are, who are these name? people? Who are we talking I said, about? I said it is Bart Ehrman and you Sam did? Harris. I'm sure a lot yeah, of people but, listen to but, Sam Harris podcast. The thing must be just freaking yeah. huge. But Bart Ehrman is a big time biblical scholar that was a Christian fundamentalist and then changed his views by studying the Bible. That's right. What's, that's what's well, pretty he, interesting about him. Here's two things that, and and one of them, I kind of think it's just irrefutable. The second one, I'm curious what Matt has to say about it. And I think maybe I am a little smarter than Toby. But with this, first of all, they are reading the Bible exactly how a fundamentalist reads it, which is insane. So everything they're saying, I completely agree with because they're approaching the Bible as a fundamentalist, a fundamental inerrantist approaches it. So I don't agree. I mean, I don't disagree with anything they're saying about the Bible, but I do find it interesting that they haven't explored other people that 
that study the Bible and look at it extremely different, like a, you know, a, a Pete Enns types, uh, a type, uh, Richard Rohr or Brian McLaren. I mean, these guys, they don't read the Bible like these guys say Christians read the Bible. Now, do most Christians read the Bible that way? Sure. So I think their points are valid, but, you know, that that's a big one. They're reading it like fundamentalists. And then the second one, this is the one that gets me all the time. They keep saying stuff like, They'll mention the supernatural, and I mean, you know, there's Christians that actually still believe in blah, 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 and uh, Harris says some intellectuals, like he actually said, some intellectuals still believe the resurrection, you know, and they're just assuming that it happened because that he talked in a way that he assumes there's no spirit, there's no supernatural, so... I guess my question is, is a belief in the supernatural just crazy talk to scientists? And if so, why? Because that's something that science can't measure. So if we want to have a conversation, say, look, let's just keep with science. Okay, let's don't talk the resurrection. But I don't understand how someone like him can write off the supernatural as a possibility. And maybe he doesn't do that, but it seems like in that conversation... Supernatural, that's not even on the shelf. That's right. not even on the table of discussion. That doesn't exist. That's not, that's, you can't, no one can make that claim. I can't make the claim that there is supernatural, but no one can make the claim that there is not. Whoa, 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 whoa. You certainly make the claim that there's supernatural. You make, you make that, that claim. claim. I that can't is a claim it. you make. Right. I can't prove it. Sure. Is what I'm saying. But it's a very simple claim that you do, in fact, make. Right. I'm just saying I cannot prove that. Right. Supernatural exists, okay. but they talk about it in a way that anyone who believes in the supernatural are just dumb. Well, right, but look, I think I can help you here, actually. But sure. yeah, I think you're conflating a few things. Like you're saying, he doesn't believe what I believe. He does science. So first of all, that's irrelevant. But what the thing you're talking about here specifically is I believe that Sam Harris would be, I suppose, a materialist is different than scientists. That They have, I mean... You know what I mean? Like, you can't just say there's science and there's Christians. That dichotomy is just way off in the first place. So rest that for a moment and say that you are a person that is a supernaturalist or a dualist. Uh, probably in, in their language, you are a dualist. You believe in mind and uh, spirit, like a body and spirit, right? Basically, you think there's a, a soul and a body that are separate. Yes. So you're a dualist in this conversation. And Sam Harris, and uh, I don't know about Bart Ehrman, uh, I think he said he's agnostic, so I won't say on that. But Sam Harris would be, I believe, a materialist, and he doesn't believe that there is anything outside of this realm. Now, of course, he doesn't believe it, and there's no evidence. There's not yeah. All he would say is there's not enough evidence to make him believe it. He's not saying it's not possible. Of course it's possible, but we won't waste one iota of time talking about the flying spaghetti monster. Is it possible? Maybe. Anyway, back to reality, moving on from his point of view, so it's not unreasonable. I get that, but I just think that if you enter the discussion, I mean, here's here's in my opinion, you can enter the discussion in maybe three different ways, and and this includes a lot of people. You could you can say, um, or maybe uh, maybe there's a hand more than three, but there's no way the supernatural can exist. Uh, maybe there's a supernatural, but we can't prove it. So why even include it in the conversation? Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not sure. And then you have some people that are just like, no, I'm open to there being a supernatural. And then you have some people that are just like, oh, I know there's a supernatural. I, I can prove it to you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, God has spoken to me in such a real way. But they definitely speak from a presupposition. 
And I, I actually think that that is uh, irresponsible intellectually. Let me challenge to you on it. Though. Not even acknowledge that. Let me challenge you on it. Um, they also fall into a category that I fall into. And so let me tell you why I agree with them is because I, although Sam Harris... You don't, is, by I, the way. I do. I do agree with them on what I'm about to say. You believe in the supernatural. Yeah, what I'm about to say. So it'll make sense. I'm saying he's a materialist. I'm not a materialist. I don't yeah. know about that. I'm not conclusive on that. I am, however, a skeptic. I believe in skepticism as a default position. I believe it is good. I believe it is right. And I do believe that everybody else acts like a skeptic on everything other than their few pet things. So you are a skeptic and you behave skeptically, which is, well, I'm fine with believing whatever there's evidence for on every other thing in life, except for, you know, where your hangups are spiritually and your beliefs and all that stuff. Right. So with flat earth or with, uh, other religions or with mystical healing or anything else, it's regular old science and medicine and food nutrition guidelines, you're a skeptic. You're like, well, uh, if it makes sense and there's enough evidence and it seems like it's mostly true and helpful and all that stuff, then I will believe it. But I'm not going to start by believing it. I don't have to put the burden on me to disprove everything everybody claims in the world. My default position is I don't believe it until there's reason to believe it. So fair enough. That is the right way to handle any discussion that you don't believe in is to come at it from that point of view, and that's reasonable for them. Now, I have supernatural experience that makes me not a materialist, so I have evidence they don't have in this regard. Okay, but the only problem is there is a lot of people that believe in the supernatural. That is a big... That those are big groups of people, people that right. don't, people that do. Right. And to just they uh, erroneously uh, believe in it in their view. Yeah, but how can they see that as a, a spurious point of view? Like disregarded altogether. That that to me The same way like, as you I, think people that believe you disregard in Bigfoot. all the flat earthers. You, you, yeah, or there's Bigfoot. Tons of them. You, you you think people that believe in Bigfoot, there's a lot of people. Maybe half and half. You don't believe it. There might be more people that believe in Bigfoot than the resurrection. Do you now have to entertain that as, well, I mean, equal footing? Well, I'll put it this way. I don't think that their conversation uh, uh, is super interesting, for sure, but I don't think it is. <laughs> That's so condescending the way you said that. No, I really liked it. I've got, I've got more notes that I want to talk yeah, but, about. Yeah, but, but don't I, escape what I I'm don't... asking you is how is it different than Bigfoot? To the, Why would they treat Bigfoot any differently than a resurrection for those two men? Tell me the difference. Now, we're not talking resurrection. We're talking the very existence of supernatural for materialists versus people that believe in Bigfoot. What's the difference? How should they engage those two topics differently or should it be the same? I mean, I think Bigfoot and the general concept of supernatural is a real big difference. Why? On what grounds? I, I just think, I mean, because supernatural, it can be, I mean, it, there can be a supernatural that, that living beings have no access to, but we do when we die. I mean, most not, Christians not would good believe sometimes... There's a lot more we, evidence for Bigfoot, though. You'd agree with that, right? I, I, Which I don't believe I, in, of course. Sure. I, I can't... I, I honestly... Uh, I mean, if you're trying to back me into a corner, I cannot articulate why I think the general concept of supernatural is different than Bigfoot, but I still think it's... Well, a, here's but, why. But we know you believe in supernatural. That's fine. Okay, if there's one thing I really enjoy doing is relaxing with a nice magazine and texture, the texture app has just made my life so much easier and better. Honestly, I find myself reading a lot of like entertainment magazines or, or like entertainment magazine actually, or uh, 
ESPN magazine. I like sports stuff. And then I, I try to get into some of the stuff like field and stream, but I just go to my phone and, you know, I like sitting outside on the back porch, just kind of perusing, if you will, through magazines. And it's almost unlimited, basically. I mean, it's unbelievable. Texture is the app that offers over 200 top magazines all in one place. With Texture, you get complete issues, and this is what's really cool, back issues for titles like Time, The Atlantic, and The New Yorker all in one app. If you want something lighter, you have People, Cosmo, and Entertainment, like I like to read Entertainment Weekly. Texture delivers the best of both worlds with newsworthy stories and relaxing entertainment any time. That's why I like Texture so much. I have all the magazines that I would ever want to read right on my phone. I can just sit back, relax, and just have some me time. I know that sounds a little selfish, but everybody needs a little me time. Magazines are where you find quality journalism, beautiful photos, in-depth interviews, and perspectives that show you all sides of the story. So, Texture is usually $9.99 a month, which is such a good price, but they are giving our listeners a free trial to start your trial, your seven-day trial, that is, your seven-day free trial, that is, go to texture.com slash badchristian. Go to texture.com slash badchristian to start reading the latest issues of your favorite magazines today. Texture.com slash badchristian. Bar Armin said it during the podcast, and I wrote it down. The, the the notes I took from it, which I just I I definitely did really enjoy the conversation. I don't think they owe it to me academically or intellectually to say, well, yeah, but maybe there could be. Just so all you folks out there that right. believe, just let me, that, I'm gonna let y'all hook here. They don't need to do that for me. That that doesn't actually help or enforce anything that I believe. One of the things he said was the intellectual task of fundamentalists is is reconciling the differences, and you can reconcile anything especially when you assume there are no errors. And what he's saying there is you're uh when when you're in it like us, like right mm-hmm. now I'm in Christianity, there there it, I will see the truth of it. I will see all of it. It's very easy for me when I'm not into Bigfoot hunting for Bigfoot to go that's foolishness. All the other religions foolishness. What I have is right. I'm in it. So we at, at the, our whole point Within Christianity is to prove it's true, mm-hmm. but uh, so That's let me. What, so there is. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't so, be. Well, I don't. Me, I think. No, sh- why me, would you say that? Hold on. Let me. Let me take a. Let me take a step back then, because I don't. I, I don't need them to speak a different way for me either. I would. I definitely think though that more people would listen to to people like that, which would be a good thing for people to listen to, if they did not speak in such a condescending way towards the supernatural, something that you don't even have to be a Christian and No, but you hear it as condescending because you don't believe in it. You're hearing it as condescending because it's your experience. You see that? that like, that's what I'm saying. I heard that okay, too. And, it, and I, hold on, let me, let me also say I agree with you. The other note that I wrote down was, I said, this is, it was a very intelligent and academic conversation but it was still one-sided. I do believe that. Like that's the problem on the on the Christian right or in the Christian fundamentalist side and on this side too. It does it is one-sided and the weight and the evidence is weighs really heavy in favor of what they're saying, but at the same time I go, "Wait a minute. That, that you're right. Like I I feel confident in, wait a minute. I have had spiritual experiences. I do think something. I do think that these guys have a podcast and are making money and jobs and Bart Ehrman is mm-hmm. smart and spent his whole life because of maybe the miracle of Jesus. Whether you, we're not, I'm not even talking about resurrection or anything. The, the, the fact that he was alive gave people jobs and the, the conversation we're having right now is still about him. So there's a, that is in a way miraculous to me. But so I do think it's one sided. But I, I do think 
it sounded offensive to you because you're in it and I'm in it. I, I know what you're yeah. saying. Like when they say when they're saying stuff, if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't care. If they were if they for example, if they were talking about Bigfoot, exactly the same language, uh, emphasis, everything, you, yeah, you would you say, yeah, say, yeah, that's funny. Like, I can yeah, be condescending to flat earthers. Those fucking dopes are just trying to get everybody well, riled up. They me, don't have a single this, brain cell to rub <laughs> together. That's condescending. But if I am talking about the earth and I only am going to speak about it as a round object and I am going to spend zero minutes disclaiming or entertaining the possibility of flat earth, that is not condescending. It's just, I, it's not, that's not right. what we're doing here. Okay, okay well, let's, let's just flip it around. I am not that uh, helpful to any discussion with someone that does not believe in the supernatural if I carry myself by saying, there's no way there's not a God, and you're pretty stupid if you can't see that. I, I don't, okay, I, I, I can say that. that. I can say that. That's what but, you heard him say is what I'm saying. You're reading something there. Well, first of all, I, I do want to back off. I don't think Sam, uh, Sam Harris was condescending. I think the other guy was definitely condescending. And if y'all listen to that, I mean, I don't see how you can refute that. And I don't care. I'm not even <laughs> mad at him. I just think, man, so many, I think so many Christians would have gotten so much out of that. But if you're a Christian, you're like, oh, wait a second. These are smart guys, and they don't even consider the supernatural as a possibility. That's kind of narrow. Is there a chance that you are feeling this way just because you're being informed by your experience as a Christian. Because Matt and I are both Christians and did not hear them being condescending like that. Now, they were negative about Christianity, but they, they, they would have been... Believe it's they would use the same. They would have used the same uh, words uh, against... Uh, if they were talking about some scientific fact, or sure. if they were talking about AI, yeah. they would yeah. go, well, here's the negative parts of it. AI is really dangerous because of this, this, and this. I'm just saying, Sam Harris has said some of the most negative things ever and dangerous stuff about artificial intelligence. Yeah, He's a big well, proponent of how for the record, I'm not. Uh, I know it sounds like I'm uh, offended, and I feel like I need to defend no, the Christian faith. That's not. No, that's your not what this is about. Yeah, I kind of wanted to get your reaction because I think that is interesting. I don't think you're. I mean, I, I think it's triggering a little bit of defensiveness in people, which might be your point. Is well, if it triggers defensiveness in people, that's contrary to their message, and I bet they could do a better job of being nice, and that would help their cause. I think I hear you saying that a little bit. Well, well but, can can I ask this? Is it true? That this Matt Carter, is it true that the supernatural is impossible? No. Okay, that's how they talked. I don't think so. They talked I don't agree like with that. the supernatural was impossible. I don't agree with that at yeah, all. I, I super, super, super disagree with you on that. I don't think either one would say that at all. I think they would say, <laughs> they would just go, oh yeah, I'm fine with whatever evidence, what you got. Is what they would say. And you would take that condescendingly. They'd be like, no, I'm, I'm an evidence guy and... I'm For example, ears. you know, you know how many like uh, and, atheists I've heard or had, uh, you know, folks we've had on the podcast or podcasts I've listened to that say that Jesus didn't even exist. It's all made up. Bart Ehrman said he definitely, through scholarly uh, uh, study, he did exist, and he was a real person. Now, what? And then he goes into talking about what Jesus actually believed about himself. Was he the Messiah? What did he actually say? Are, are these red letters true? All the things like. The, the idea that he would say uh, that it's all bullshit, I did, just didn't hear that. I, what I heard was he spent his entire life studying something and is going to continue to do that and make it his career and profession. Well, let so me give I you an example. He thinks that, I, I think he disagrees example. that just that you, you would that people believe stuff on blind faith or, that, or they have definitely been influenced or informed by their culture and all that stuff. But I don't think he was saying you're a dumbass if you believe in the supernatural. Well, but well let me give I, they don't believe give in the super, supernatural though. I do agree with you. Let me give you an example. They were talking about heaven, and and I and I actually loved how um, Bart uh, described how Christians view the world. 
but I do feel like it would have been more helpful to the listener for them. And maybe he doesn't know this, but for him to also include that there are other people that exist that do not see the world like this, like, like a uh, young earth. I mean, give me a break. Like that yep. is not that representative representative of Christian faith. So they talked about heaven and they said, so if you don't have a body in heaven, how are you going to recognize grandma? How are you, you know, we get all excited about, we'll see them again. We'll hug them and all that stuff, but we're spirits. How are we going to recognize each other? Um, or and if I'm a cannibal thinking, ate you, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm thinking to myself, if are you part of them? Uh, oh, and and he said, and a lot of Christians believe, oh, well, the spirit will just be, it'll look exactly like the body, and they said it in a way where that's the dumbest thing ever. Not if there's a God, and that's that's the thing is, I'm totally fine with you saying I don't see any evidence for God, and I don't believe in a God, and you can't prove him to me, so I'm never going to believe in God. That works better than for someone to say. Oh my gosh. And there's obviously some crazy talk if people really believe that spirits could look like their physical bodies. I was just like, are you? Well, kidding I, me first right of all, now? I don't understand at all. I, I actually find those to be very legitimate questions that I don't have any reasonable answers for personally. I, I think they're right. That makes no sense to me either. And all you would say is the same thing about the ice wall. Like we can talk about the ice wall all day and how tall it is and whatever, but there ain't no flat earth. So what the fuck are we talking about an ice wall for? Like, yeah. that's what it feels like to them. They're just like, Ugh. and then magically heaven is this. And you're like, it sounds like nonsense. Like the ice wall sounds like to me. So I don't yeah. think they owe anybody anything. They just well, don't. And then how they talked about oral history. Again, they're approaching the Bible from a very fundamentalist standpoint, which I would agree with their criticisms. But basically people did not see history in the same way as we view it now. Like back yep. today, we think, man, we got to record the facts accurately. If we put something out there that's not exactly right and we call it fact, then you know we're, we're lying to people. Back then, they did not even take that approach. So now if they want to say, yeah, that stuff was written way after the fact, so it's not dependable, sure, I, I'm totally into that. But yep. the fact, of course, there was an oral tradition back then, yep. and they made that people point, did though. remember whole books of the Bible. They said, what, do you think people are going to memorize this stuff? Yes. Yeah, they did. They, they did. made that point. I, though, I thought but. they did diminish the oral history as uh, nowhere near as good as it probably was. Like before books, I do believe that oral history was better than obviously what it is now. Like oral history now would be terrible because everybody yeah, goes, I'll we don't record this in my phone or something like that. Hey everybody, my name is Adam and I work over at Tooth and Nail. And one of my favorite things seriously in my life is just getting to ride around in cars with buddies and show each other new music, new songs, learn about new bands, and especially introduce people to new bands. And I kind of feel like that's, in a lot of ways, my job at Tooth & Nail is getting to tell a lot of people about bands that I think are great. So we're going to put a big Spotify playlist up that I hope that you'll go check out. We have a bunch of new, fairly new bands on Tooth & Nail with a lot of different genres that I think you will love. And I'm just gonna give you a big list now, but go over and check them out. Off-Road Minivan. Loyals. Hearts Like Lions. I need to 
civilian. Tyson Motzenbacher. And we are the city. Six new bands. Guarantee you haven't heard of all of them. Go check them out. Go to the label page and just listen through the playlist. You'll for sure find something you love. All right, guys, we got Andrew Glavin has joined the show. Andrew, can yeah, you hear thanks, us? Andrew. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, my gosh, you sound good. You don't even have one of those big broadcast microphones, and you sound <laughs> I, like the voice yes, of I, God right here on yes, the show. Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, I do. <laughs> I got my Yeti. My Yeti is with me. That's great. So you're no stranger to broadcasting and doing all this stuff. Do you? Do you? Uh, how do you do digital interface and stuff a lot of times on, on your show and stuff with guests? You Skype people yeah, in? Is we that how usually you do, do Skype, yeah. I mean, we have a, a vast array of computer equipment, and then we use Skype, basically, and that, uh, it's fine. Yeah, and are y'all in? Uh, you, you record at Daily Wire. Stu- There's a whole studio and all that kind of stuff there, huh? Yep, it's uh, it's virtually. I mean, two three years ago we were recording out of our friend's uh, pool house, and now we have a big. It's almost like a TV station. The place is just blown yeah, up. Yeah, I was wondering how big this. I'm it, so excited that people like Joe Rogan have built this massive facility, and you guys have its own studio built not for normal TV stuff, but this new wave of like stuff yep. it's just really fun i've got a little office here but it's just exciting to build stuff i come out of the music and recording world where there's all these recording studios that are dinosaurs and now you see these little podcast studios popping up and things being designed to do other stuff it's kind of fun but you found your way amazing, into yeah. some good stuff there tapping into people directly how long have you been uh what i don't know what you call it but i would say on i don't know i walked myself into a corner here but you're independent <laughs> how do you think of independent broadcasting or not or not that uh, that whole field. Oh, I, I think it's it's the the brave new world. It's mm-hmm. absolutely terrific. I mean, I, I kind of stumbled into it. A friend of mine at uh, when he started PJTV, oh, it's got to be over ten years ago now. He just kept I kept bumping into him in various bars uh, all over LA, and he kept saying, "Why don't you come on over and do some stuff for me?" And I finally dragged myself over there, and it just became a, a, a new career. I mean, it's it's been a total surprise. It's not it's not something I expected to happen in my life. I lived my life as a as a novelist which is great, but you know, you basically work in a room by yourself. Nobody knows what you look like, even when your books are doing well. Nobody knows what you like. Nobody comes up to you on the street. Everything has changed. And it's been, it's just take, taken me completely off guard. I bet you get recognized a lot now. I do. I do. It's Where's the tipping strange. point for that when you started noticing that? Uh, you know, it started at the very end of the stuff I was doing for PJTV. I was doing this thing called Clavin on the Culture. And I noticed that in airports, especially because you're in you're in L.A., you know, I'm, I'm a conservative. So I'm like a kind mm-hmm. of an outlier. But now even the, even that, you know, even now in L.A., people come up to me. It's kind of shocking. Uh, my wife is always absolutely, you know, stunned that anybody would know who I was. <laughs> even even she doesn't know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and has that been a good thing that you like or even being a conservative? and being in Hollywood and stuff like that, has that gotten to where you don't receive any negative in-person stuff? I get a lot of negative in, stuff in, in person? Um, 
Yeah, it's usually behind your back. I mean, usually mm-hmm. what happens is, you know, like you don't get the calls you would have gotten. Uh, my agent occasionally gets calls asking why he handles me, you know, and I, I, it's 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 cost me in Hollywood to, to be an open conservative, especially in the age of Trump, when people just think he's absolutely beyond the pale. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, but I, I've never worried about it. I mean, I, I, you know, if you're a writer and you're not telling the truth at some level, I don't even know what you're doing. I don't even know why you would do that. You should go into another profession. Mm-hmm. Completely. Has it Can we ask real quick? A- what do you give us a snapshot of how you think Trump's done in the since his uh, inauguration? I, uh, bizarrely, I think he has done tremendously well, and uh, and I'm not like a big personal fan of his. Um, you know, I can't stand some of the rudeness. I can't stand some of the way he treats, especially the way he treats guys who have been loyal to him, and you know, he fires them with tweets and stuff like that. But let's face it, his job is being president. I'm not inviting him over to my house. Uh, he's he's cut taxes. He's appointed great judges, not just Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, great judges all around. He's dialed back a lot of the regulations which were being used to supersede the law uh, and intrude on people's lives. You know, guys like us, we don't understand because we're protected by the First Amendment. We don't really understand what regulation can do to people's businesses and their lives. He's dialed back a lot of that. I think that he's got, you know, I don't know if there's going to come to anything, but he's got North Korea paying attention, which is a good thing. I think he's yeah. got Iran paying attention. I, you know, I think he's righted a lot of uh, ships and he's he's re- restored our relationships with Israel. And um, yeah, I don't know. He's just he's just done a lot, a lot of good things, sounds far, like, far more than I thought he would. Sounds like character F minus policy A. <laughs> exactly. Which is kind of it kind of a little bit of a mental, uh, you know, screw it kind of screws with your head a little bit because uh, you're, you're used to you're used to bad people in politics mm-hmm. being fascists. Basically, when, when you see somebody that you don't like in politics, you expect them to do something that goes outside the norm of American governance that, uh, you know, violates the Constitution. He never does any of that stuff. Obama did it all the time, but he never yeah, does it, it. If I'm not mistaken, is is Travolta or Bruce Willis conservative is one uh, one of them? A conservative, I think, or both. Willis, Willis is a known Republican. Uh, he's been kind of shady about, uh, you know, uh, talking about his politics, but he he is an open Republican. Yeah. Like, imagine, I th- I think that if you take Bruce Willis and if he did everything that Trump has done through his presidency up until this point, and Bruce was kind to women and never said anything that could be taken out of context, didn't go crazy on Twitter, people would be like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to America. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I still I still think, you know, you do have to remember the left treated George W. Bush, this totally decent guy. They treated him the same way. They treated Mitt Romney, probably one of the nicest people ever to enter politics. They treated him that way. They accused him of murder. They told him he was abusing his dog. He was beating up a gay guy in high mm. school. All this nonsense they put out. So they've treated everybody like this. Now they can't understand why we don't believe them about Trump. Yeah. They're basically saying, no, but this time it really is the wolf. You know? the, the Andrew, are you a uh, Republican? Are you libertarian? Where, where are you? What are your politics lie? I would I would call myself uh, mostly a libertarian. I'm certainly uh, a conservative uh, when it comes to abortion. Uh, I certainly think a conservative life is the way I want to live, but I don't want to impose it on anybody else. Uh, you know, so I want the, I basically want the government to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. I don't really want yeah. anything from them uh, except for the police to be on the street and the soldiers to be on our borders. And aside from that, I want them to leave us alone. I think that was the idea of the country that we take care of stuff. We make the country great and they just get out of our way. And that's so that's basically my politics. I don't want to bother anybody else either. I don't care how. Anybody yeah. Else. And oh, yeah, it works. Look at FedEx, you know, <laughs> as opposed to the U.S. Postal Service. 
it's amazing. It's amazing what what the capitalism and free markets will do. You know? I do believe that. Were Were you always this way? Like being in entertainment, being an author. I mean, did, were you influenced by, by the left, or were your politics different back in the day? Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up, you know, in a left wing Jewish household. Uh, you know, the the thing is, I knew what every left winger knows. Not that leftism is good. I just knew that the right was evil. You know, that's what I knew. Yeah. <laughs> and and so what really what really happened to me was the the Berlin Wall fell down. And Ronald Reagan said that was going to happen. And everybody said they treated Reagan just like they treat Trump. He was an idiot. He was a warmonger. He was going to destroy us all. And I saw the Berlin Wall fall down. I thought, you know, that old buzzard was right about everything, you know. Yeah. And and I, I left the country for many years. I lived in England for seven years. And when I came back, I had become a conservative without knowing it because mm-hmm. I hadn't really paid attention to American politics. But when I came back, suddenly all the people who were saying what I was saying, what I thought, uh, were Rush Limbaugh, National Review, and all, all these thinkers on the right, and so I've kind of kind of crept up on me, basically. Yeah, that's what's been disturbing me is the definitions of the word change out from under you so fast, but people don't yeah. update. So the word update is the only word that I can even use anymore, and it's what I and I use that word because it's what everybody is not doing. You, you know, people are not looking to realize things have changed. It's not change. It's not even just that everybody needs to change. It's not like everybody needs to go farther left or farther right. We need to freaking update our thinking as we go on everything. It's not moving left or right. It's updating. And if everybody updates, we'll be closer together in the future in like a triangle shape or something is the way I visualize that. So it's not about other people being wrong. It's about everybody updating your things. But a term like conservative will shift or what people think of it as. And that's I think that's the danger now is we got people going, well, I know I hate the right wing wingers. I'm supposed to hate them. So I'll just have to take the other and as much of it as possible. I guess, as the antidote for the Nazis or something. And that's crazy. It's slippery out there. I think I think the thing is, is if you can talk to people about principles instead of people, you Mm -hmm. can actually get a lot further. I mean, when I talk on college campuses, I don't go on there and say, you know, love Trump, hate Obama, anything like that. I say, this is what I stand for. And most people in America do. They stand for freedom. That's what I stand for. You know, they stand for leaving people alone. They stand for, you know, taking care of yourself and being responsible for Mm -hmm. yourself. And I think once you start talking about that stuff, you find a lot more agreement than you think there is. How are you received on college campuses? (laughs) You know, it hasn't been that bad. You know, I've gotten I've gotten some heckling. I've gotten some very uh, intense questioning. I find it really um, what what's the word I'm looking for? I, I find it almost sad. Some of these kids, uh, you know, you forget you forget how young young people are, and you forget how little they know. You know, I mean, you just can't learn a lot until you're you know until you've been around for a while, until you've right. been studying things and watching the world. So these kids come up to you, and nobody has taught them civics. Nobody has taught them how and why people decided that America would be a good idea. Nobody's taught them why free speech protects them as well as the other guy. Nobody's told them any of that. All they've told them is that blacks are oppressed, women are oppressed, they're oppressed, everybody's oppressed. And you know when you walk walk in and you say to them, you know, you're not oppressed. I don't care what color you are. If you're living in America, you have won the lottery of life. You know, they get they get upset. You know, they they start blinking really rapidly. Their breath becomes shallow because <laughs> you're, you're pulling the rug out from under them. Yeah. Uh, but but it's worth doing because they're great. Most of them are great people. They just have been misinformed, I think. Do you, yeah, that's do you the, feel like yeah. you want to change their minds? Like, like we we had Owen Benjamin on just recently, and he's like, "I don't care, fuck those people," oh, you know, yeah. whatever, <laughs> you know. And I was like, "Oh wow, he doesn't, he, he really doesn't care at all." But do you feel like as part of your reason, like, like 
changing, like you said, careers almost, you know, from being an author. I know you probably still are an author, and we we're going to talk about your book in a little bit, but like, do you feel a desire or an obligation or, or want to change those folks' minds? You know, when I, I, I'm so old at this point, when I go on a college campus, I feel like I'm talking to 11 year olds. I mean, they look really, really young to me. It's impossible for me to hate them. I don't even care if they're calling me names. I like it's that. just impossible for me to hate them. I you like know, it. and like, cute. And, and I just, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I just want to say to them, you know, like, you, you, you really. I mean, these kids are going to like colonize Mars, basically. Yeah. They, they, the last thing they should be thinking about is racism. You know, they are not going to lose a single job. They're not going to lose a single girlfriend or boyfriend over racism. And nothing bad is going to happen to them because of American racism. And yet that's what they've been. It's been drilled into their minds. And you and you listen to them. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you something. I'm a bit of a sexist. I believe men and women are different. You know, I believe men are supposed to be different. Women are supposed to be different. When I see men talking about my microaggressions, like, oh, he looked at me the wrong way, or, oh, he tightened up when I walked into an elevator. I think, dude, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're a man. You know, mm -hmm. a microaggression is something you step on when you're walking somewhere else. You know? right. <laughs> so we... we we have, uh, you know, we, we've got a diverse listenership, um, uh, a lot of African-Americans. Um, what would... Well, and, and I say that because... I'm sure you get this a lot. Here's some low-hanging fruit of police shooting. Um, you know, I, I've uh, a guy that leads worship at the church that I work at. I mean, he said he told me the other day. He said that a cop pulled his cousin uh, over right in front of his house, and he immediately flips into the mode of "Is he going to get shot?" sort of thing. Like that's not a fear I live with. So I'm, I, you know, I, for our listeners, like instead of just going right through that, like, I'd like to back up a little bit. Do you think that there's any white privilege? Like, I totally get your point that we are all lucky to be in America. I'm with you. We're lucky. Um, but do you think that there is any differences for Joey Svensson, white guy, my worship leader, black guy, as far as what we have, what we don't have, benefits and all that? Yeah, this is what, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Sowell, one of the great thinkers of our time, talks about this. And he talks about three kinds of discrimination. Uh, one is discrimination one, which is the discrimination we all do, which is I look at you and I say, well, he seems like a nice guy. I'm going to deal with him in this way. The other is discrimination two, which is I don't like black people or whatever, so I'm going to be mean to all black people. But then in between those two is just what he calls discrimination 1B. And this is where you're measuring the cost of something versus big numbers. So you're a TSA agent. Your job is to protect people on a plane. You see a Muslim guy coming down the plane. You know, Muslims are more involved in terrorism than anybody else. You don't think that guy is guilty, but you have got to count the cost and say, I'm going to stop this guy and take a little extra look at him. Now, that's painful and hurtful to that guy who's an innocent man just trying to get to another place. But who's to blame for that? It's not the TSA guy. It's the terrorists, right? It's the terrorists who have given him a bad name. There is a lot of crime in the black community, a, a disproportionate amount of crime. The police are there to help. Most of them, I know cops, I'm sure you know cops, most of them are not racist. They're not there to hate on people. They're there to help people. So they're looking at, you know, a black guy and they're, they're trying to count the cost for the, remember, even in a high crime neighborhood, the huge percentage of the people there are decent, everyday people who just want to get along. That cop is looking at people and thinking, what's the cost of my letting this guy go by? What's the cost? So my question is not whether 
there aren't differences in a life lived with a, one color skin than another. My question is, where where is the, does the problem lie? Does it lie with police? I don't think it does. You know, tests, I think there have been four independent tests, some of them done by the most left of the left, that have found that police do not use deadly force on blacks disproportionately to whites. But they do have a problem, which is that there's high crime in a lot of black neighborhoods. So it's it's not a question of whether there are differences. It's a question of what causes the differences. And I personally, I think it has a lot to do with the kinds of policies that have encouraged the death of the family in black neighborhoods where you have, I think it's it's between 66 and 72 percent of, uh, of single parents in black neighborhoods. That's, you know that's a really bad thing that's going to cause a lot of dysfunction. So, so again, you know, this is not a question of what your experience is. It's a question of where your experience comes from and what you are actually experiencing. You are actually, what you're actually experiencing is the wages of, of criminality in that neighborhood, not, yeah. I think, bigotry from the police. It's easy to well, circle back on top saying. of that. Yeah, and I wanted to say something, too, about what you were saying, Andrew. Are, are you saying then that uh, we might be actually focusing on the the wrong problems? Like, are we looking at outcomes as opposed to maybe if if we took a few steps back, maybe we could have some intervention or steps? Is, is like, are you saying we're missing some of that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's exactly what's happening. I mean, I think that if you look back, I mean, this is just these are just numbers, right? Okay, up until the '60s, when the Great Society, when Lyndon Johnson launched the Great Society, uh, up until that time. Black people were rising into the middle class quite quickly. They were, uh, they were the murder rates were going down, the uh, illegitimacy rates were going down, the employment, unemployment rates were going down. Everything was going in the right direction. So you can't blame it on what was happening before that when there was some real bigotry in this country. I mean, there was some really bad stuff going on, but you can't blame it on that because they were progressing. It was when uh, the government got involved and started to help in its usual clumsy way that I think they started breaking stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there's this one guy, Jason Riley, wrote a book called Please Stop Helping Us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think I think that the the wages of that uh, that kind of help, that thing that makes white people feel good and makes government people feel useful and gets votes, but actually destroys families, actually makes people dependent on government welfare. Those things are really harmful. And I, and you know, I, I'm not a hard, I'm not a hard case at all about this stuff. I want to help people. I want people to be all right, certainly. But you know, if you want to be free, you got to be responsible. If you want to be responsible, you got to do some, you know, do some real work at your life. You know, you got to marry the people who have your babies. You got to stick around and raise your children. You got to be there for for them. And that stuff is not happening in a lot of neighborhoods. And yes, that's the stuff I think we should definitely be looking at. And every time you talk about it, they call you racist. Mm -hmm. Now, would you? Uh, would you? Uh, and, and just just for the record, there's no hostility coming. No, here. no, I'm please. really trying to. Um, would would you lend some credibility to some of the systematic stuff that and, and we'll just stick with African-Americans for right now, like because we're not that far removed from the civil rights era where all four of us would say, yeah, mistreated big yeah. time. Yeah, like, no that's that that doesn't even uh, um, lend it justice to say mistreated. I mean, it, it was, was just horrible, the evil that was done and all that sort of thing. So wouldn't you say here we are fast forward a measly you know, 35, 40 years, isn't that demographic still suffering from some of that just because of, uh, you know, just how they were treated and some of the disadvantages? I mean, bottom line, I was born into a household of a white civil engineer that was born in 1947, was able to go to Clemson University, get a degree, start working. You know, I don't think everybody 
had that. His his dad was able to put food on the table, provide shelter. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. No, I think, look, the, the, the presence of bigotry against a lot of people in this country, right. certainly against blacks, has been is well documented. It's, it's true. Again, the numbers, what the numbers say is that when you remove that bigotry, and there is no question that that bigotry has been removed. I mean, you, there, is no, there is no aspect of government that now works against people because of their race. It just doesn't happen in America anymore. Thank God. That's a great thing. But but when, it, it, with other races, when you remove that, um, when you remove that barrier, the races rise. And with blacks, that was actually happening as the barriers were removed until this massive industry of helping black people was created mm-hmm. uh, that I think has really been damaging. Here's the place where I am a hard case. The past can't be fixed. That is just true. A baby born today, no matter what color his skin is and no matter who his parents are, is as innocent as a newborn babe, right? And and you cannot say to a white baby born today that you are somehow the inheritor of past ills. That is just not right. The thing is, as far as I'm concerned, it's either right to take people according to their race or it's wrong. I think it's wrong. I think it's just wrong. So if you want justice, you got to stop doing that. You have to stop, even if it means you can't show how virtuous you are by helping people, even if it means you can't show how virtuous you are by beating your chest over your privilege, it means you just have to stop. If you stop, you know, I I always tell white people, you want to do something for black people, compete with them, make them rise to excellence, make them beat you for the job. You know, don't don't give them anything. Don't give anybody anything. Beat them for the job. They will get excellent. Look, they are at, there's no there's no difference in competence between a black person and a white person. I do not believe that. I believe if if they work at it, if they put themselves to it, they will rise. Now that that those barriers have been removed, I really believe that the guys who are helping them are the worst thing that could happen to mm-hmm. them. And I think that that's so that's that's my my only two points. My two points are one in the past when barriers have been removed and they were there. When they were removed, people rose. And two, you can't change the past. You just can't do it. I wish it were possible for people to actually, you know, unload some of the energy around the topics to actually talk about what's fundamental there. Because even hearing you say that, I feel a little bit uncomfortable or nervous because it sounds harsh what you're saying. But that makes it almost a turnoff. Like, I don't want to consider it, uh, you know. But at the, at, for sure, though, a healthy way to look at society is – or a helpful way might be to say, if we were all going to get born in a lottery role now, do would you prefer the average set of circumstances from a white person or a black person? And everybody knows which one they would choose, right? Yeah, but but, but on the other hand, the question to that that is, if a friend came to you, an answer to that is, if a friend came to you and said, everybody hates me, and you know I just can't get ahead, and I've got to get, we've got to get to a place where people stop hating me in order for mm-hmm. me to get ahead. Would you say to him, oh, you poor dear? Yes, you know, I, oh, I, I couldn't agree more in, uh, pragmatically with what you're saying. But it makes me uncomfortable to even admit that. It really does because I know from my experience that any way I would ever treat my kid I, – I have mixed-race kids, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I do not talk to them about that oppression shit. No, we don't do that. Right. They're exactly. not going to do that. That's, That's right. not you, what I'm going to – you know what I mean? You, so I get the mentality. Excellence, yes, right? and so I do think the left has that big problem – Real big problem with that. Like everybody knows that ugh, it's just that gross feeling of I don't think they really care about these people. They're just using them. That is obviously true, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> so I, think, it's a, I think that's it. And and look, it is. If you're a parent, you know, mm-hmm. and if you're a good friend, you know 
that sometimes the hard being a hard case is the best thing you can do for somebody and and beating look if you have some privilege if you got some breaks in life good for you mm -hmm. everybody you know look you know, I'd like to be a professional basketball player. LeBron James got those breaks. You know? I mean, yeah. so, but I don't sit around and, and say, doggone it. You know, if I, like I could have been LeBron James, if only I'd been born with his talent. You know, people get you're right. There is a lottery. People win it. People lose it. But you can in this country supersede that mm -hmm. with hard work and excellence. And well, I think to say that you don't have to. Is, is hurting someone, not helping. I agree with that, but let's back up even one further where we, if we really want to be attribute th correctly though, I agree with you that the, the family not intact is a huge problem, real bad. Uh, but I really got no problem blaming past governmental ideas and regulations and prison systems and drug criminalization. I really do blame those things for the state of things too. This has got to be a huge factor, right? Yeah, and I thought, well, I certainly so, think And something we could uh, undo now, like, couldn't we get these black men for weed out of prison and maybe they'll go home? I mean, we've interrupted them <laughs> profoundly, I think, with that. I feel really well, bad about how we have done that. Yeah, okay. except, you know, here, here's the thing. I, I agree with you. I, I half agree with you about this. I mean, I, I, you know, during the 80s, there was a shocking rise in crime because of the influx of, of crack cocaine and a, a large number of young men on the streets. That crime dropped 48%. That's a lot of lives saved in a lot of you know poor neighborhoods because the police learned new methods of policing, which involved locking a lot of people up. Locking a lot of people up creates other problems. So they solved one problem, you know, and now we've got this other problem, too many people who've been put away. And when they use these terms, mass incarceration, that didn't exist. People were incarcerated one at a time for breaking <laughs> the law, you know. But but still, you got to remember with the police, the police are not the police are the guys we hire to arrest yeah. oh, bad for guys sure. and yeah. put them in jail. So, so it's really up to the rest of us to come up with better policies of how we're going to deal with this. I agree with you that the um, that the criminalization of drugs ha has been a disaster. But it uh, literally you know, hurt families that have now hurt society, and now it's bad yeah. for all of us and them yeah. the worst. But of course, there are policies that should be changed and examined. And I'm not saying you just sit back and uh, don't do anything. That's that's ridiculous. There are always things that can be made better. What I'm saying is that the victimization, the idea of, of victimizing people, that people are victims and mm -hmm. turning them into perpetual victims is bad for them. And it's also bad for people to tell innocent people who didn't do anything that they should be guilty simply for yeah, existing. I, I don't think that's both. good either. No, I totally agree. Has with our both government of those. done that too, though? Like it, it seems like a, a good idea for if you're running for an office or something is to keep people oppressed or hurting so they need you, right? So you look to them, so you mm -hmm. look to the government for answers or you, you look for, to people that aren't you for the answers, which keeps you in victimhood, maybe. Yeah, that's what a lot of a lot of black conservatives call that the the government plantation. They say that the government is it is it benefits the government. It benefits the government to make you dependent on them because then you will vote for the people who gave you the goodies that keep you dependent. You know, it's like it's just like going back to your pusher. Uh, you know, it's. It is a it's a problem with elective government is that there are a lot of things that benefit the people in power. This is why I'm in favor of uh, term limits. But there are a lot of things that benefit the people in power that are not, not necessarily good for the people, you know, promising all kinds of retirement benefits to state workers that you're never going to be able to pay, but you don't care because you'll be out of office or, you know, promising, uh, you know, to take money away from rich people and give it to poor people, even though that means there are going to be fewer jobs. So the poor people now are dependent on the government instead of on getting a job. You know, it's it, it's there's a lot of stuff that benefits 
that gets you elected that isn't good for people. Perfect example is Detroit, you know, mm -hmm. where they did that for 20 years and then basically destroyed the city. Mm -hmm. Can we can we uh, can we keep this same conversation but apply it to Native Americans? Like that one almost seems maybe a little more cut and dry. Like I don't see how anyone and well. I'll say what I was going to say, but this isn't a shot at you. I don't see how anyone in their right mind can look at how Native Americans were treated and be like, oh, no, they're, they've got the same sort of opportunities we do. No, I don't think they do. But but then again, one of the, one of the problems, and, and I'm not an expert on this, so I'm talking yeah. a little bit uh, only out of what I know. Uh, one of the problems is we've never basically said to Native Americans, okay, terrible things happen. It's over you're now American citizens and that's it. You know, we have reservations which treat them basically in an archaic mm -hmm. way, separate them from the rest of society. We treat them differently. We treat their land differently than other people. You know, to me, like if you're an American, that's it. You're an American. I'm sorry about the bad things that happened in history. Everybody has bad things happen to them in history. My people have had terrible things happen to them in history. I'm not going to hold it against people who are dead. You know, I'm not going to hold the dead against the living. I, you know, so like if you look at uh, Native Americans, they're kind of a perfect example of what I'm talking about, aren't they? Because how can we help them be in the question, not excusing yeah, how, the past and, or and, whatever? And, and also, how can we just say it's oh, this part is over? This part where you were Indians and we were something else—that's over. You know, that, that now you're just Americans and you're on your own and basically now be excellent and, and do well. You know, I mean, I, I think that at some point you're going to have to say that it's worked for every other group. It's worked for the Jews. It's worked for the Irish. It's worked for the Italians. It's worked for the Indians. It's worked for the Chinese. It works for everybody when you just say, you know what, go make a living. You know? But don't don't you think that would be true if everyone saw equality in the same way that you did? Like if everybody was like you, then I would agree. Once you're American, you're an American. Everybody's cool, but not everybody's like you. Like a lot of people don't see them uh as, but as what equal. can you do about it still is the question we're left with, Joey. It's still a yeah. matter of how can you help them. You know, if you help your kid on the – I saw mom help my – you know, helping her kid that's way bigger and older and a boy across some monkey bars that Georgia destroys. Yeah, I don't think she's helping him. I, yeah. I don't think yeah. she's helping him is all I'm saying. He's weak already, and he needs more help than my daughter does. That's sad, but it's true. But that ain't how you help him. She's literally yeah. holding his belt loops, putting him through the monkey bars. And there's nothing wrong yeah. with the kid. That's just – how he's been parented, and yeah. and the world and the world is never going to be free of individual racists. I mean, this is this is the thing. If you're if whenever it always drives me a little crazy when some clown says some stupid racist thing, and I hear a politician say, "We still have a lot of work to do in this country." I think a lot of work on what eliminating evil. You know, it's like good luck. Right. <laughs> That's not going to happen. There are evil people. There are bad people. We should tell people you're going to run into them, and the rest of us. Have to, you know, well, the government's job is to eliminate the evil policies. Yeah, exactly. That's, that that we can do. Yeah, we can get rid of those, and we cannot be evil, which right. I think is always a good thing if you can do it. You know, I mean, I, I think that um, I, I, I just, I just feel like if the numbers show, as they do, that things have gotten get worse when you pull people out, even if you think, even if you think it's good racism, mm -hmm. even if you think, oh, well, now we're, we did bad racism. Now we're going to balance that with good racism. I really think that all the racism goes in one side of the scale and all the just justice and treating people like God's children that goes on the other side of the scale. And that's, it, that makes us helpless in certain ways. It makes us helpless to change the past. It makes us helpless to fix things that can't be fixed, but it also is the only thing that works and gets people out. 
I believe that, that that's totally true too. Like with just the idea of like what you're doing at Daily Wire and with the Andrew Clavin show, uh, the that free speech, for example, helps everybody. everybody. You know what I mean? Like that, it's not a thing where you need to shut down that racist. racist. If you, you shut, shut down, down the racist, racist then all racism, racism gone. No, that just means you don't know who it is now. But it, like to me, I always think I'd rather know who the racist is, the terrible person. I'm gonna avoid them, or I'm gonna make sure you know they're not you know whatever. It, Whatever I can do, I can stop it because I know it. But if we stop, like, you know, free speech, especially like in that, – that's what I think is so neat with technology and, like, the idea of podcasts and, and independent news and the way we're finding out information now does seem a little bit more free. And if we – and now the biggest thing that everybody is talking about is shutting down free speech. You see people like Owen Benjamin kicked off Twitter. You yep. see people – I don't know if you've experienced any – like you said, in Hollywood, some people – I don't know if you've experienced any sh- being shut down, but just ideas – People don't like those. <laughs> you know, it's it's really interesting. I was just talking to a uh, free speech lawyer uh, who was the daughter of a Holocaust survivor, and she said one of the things that people don't know is that the Weimar Republic, in which where which is where the, the Nazis rose to power, had very powerful anti-hate speech laws. It had very powerful anti-hate speech laws, and the Nazis loved them because it made them cool. It made them outlaws. It made them, you know, uh, the the naughty guys who were defying the government. I one of the reasons I hate political correctness so much is because it makes racism funny. It's funny when somebody breaks those those politically correct laws because they're just oppressive. You know, they're they're oppressive. And so when you hear somebody rebel against them, you know, you think like, oh, that's kind of that makes me laugh. You know, it makes me laugh when someone rebels against them. If if you let people speak out. We can win. I'm not afraid of any argument. I am not afraid of any argument with any racist on this planet. You know, I will win that argument every time. It's like, you know, I've, I've worked with uh, uh, Christian publishers and they'll get very frowny faced about, you know, like atheist uh, books. And I'll say, hey, you know, bring it on. Bring it on. If I can't win an argument, if I can't win an argument against an atheist, I'll become an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like, right. but I, I can win that argument every time. What I can't win against is when you make it hip. If you if you shut people down, you make it hip. And that and that is a, a really bad thing. And, you, you know, I, I'm a I'm a conservative, like I said, a kind of a libertarian. But but if you hide from people that uh, Muslims commit a lot of uh, terrorism, if you hide from people that there's high crime in black neighborhoods, if you hide from people that men and women are different when they discover those things, they become mm-hmm. radicalized on the right far, you know, they become right wing in a bad way uh, because they begin to think they've discovered something that was hidden away. And that's really is, is bad. uh, And they don't think about the facts and they don't really learn the truth. So I, me, I'm like, let everybody speak, let everybody speak. I'm a, I'm an absolutely radical free speech guy. Any idea that can be destroyed by the truth should be basically. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I think people divide in the future between, you know, I think there's only two classes in the future, and it's the people in, the, you know, technologically advancing and the ones that are going to stay. Like, you know, I think it might – I'm way out there, but I just think it's going to be whoever – there's going to be the technological machine human thing that moves on, and then there's going to be all the the – Low-class people, I don't think, will have access to the higher technologies and life extensions and whatever the radical future is going to be technologically. I think the only divide that will exist in the long-term future will be in that stream and out of that stream. And at the current rate, I'm worried that all the people that are not doing well now will be left out of that stream. You know? Yeah, you know, there's there's always stuff to worry about, but I, I don't know. I'm pretty hopeful right now. I mean, I think that, um, you know, people get smarter. 
generations mm -hmm. get weirdly enough the generations get smarter they gain a couple of iq points every generation or something like that and um and and even though technology destroys jobs it also creates jobs um I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see in pretty short order some amazing stuff coming down. Space travel, mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of new technology. People are living longer. People are healthier than they've ever been. We're for all the yelling and screaming, we're freer than we've ever been. You know, like there's more free speech now mm -hmm. uh, than there's ever been. So I, I don't know. I'm not. I, I think there's going to be. There's always pain in transition. Um, but if you look back at like the the. Uh, industrial revolution when the Luddites went out and they destroyed the machines because they thought these machines are taking our job and destroying our way of life. They were right. The machines were taking their jobs and did destroy mm -hmm. their way of life, but they created a better world as well. And so what, what I would think we should be thinking about is making the transition less painful rather than avoiding the transition. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying is I think that the, the, the welfare state and the left and, and keeping people in that realm I think those are the people who are going to get left out is what I'm worried about. I, I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that moving forward with technology and stuff like that and educate, like the education in new ways and getting people on that track is what's going to take them out. I think technology is basically a better answer than left or right is, is yeah. my philosophy, uh, basically. It, it, so, it always it But makes keeping people better, in those yeah. low expectations, they're not going to – there's going to be the very people that you think you're trying to help right now that are just simply not going to be – you know, actively yeah. engaged with where things go. There'll be, you know, slower adopters to this, slower adopters to online this, slower adopters. And this, I think that's what's going to leave a lot of people out, unfortunately, in, in that welfare type of state. I think we need a, a, a revolution in education. No mm -hmm. question about that. We need, you know. You got I, any I mean, ideas I'm, there? Because I agree with you. Yeah, no, I think I, I don't think that uh, four years of college is right for everybody. I don't think that everybody needs to know, uh, uh, you know, everybody, not everybody needs um, this full education, especially when some of the sociological and uh, some of the soft sciences have been taken over by leftist ideology and aren't really teaching you anything anyway. I think that uh, we should bring back uh, trade schools. We should bring back schools that teach you a certain kind of, uh, you know, a, a certain job and that keep you up to date with that job, uh, you know, that you can go back to where the deal should be. Yeah. You come to us for two years and anytime you need mm -hmm. a refresher course, you can drop in and do that. I mean, I think that that's, you know, we should have a much more targeted education system. There are some people, there is going to be an intellectual elite, which is great. You know, we, we should have those guys. They should learn everything there is to know, and they should then come and teach the rest of us and write articles in newspapers and, you know, talk on TV and all that stuff. But, but for the, for ordinary people's lives, they should just be trained to do the thing that is going to make them independent and free mm -hmm. and self-supporting. You know, that's where a lot of dignity comes from. Work, you know, work just convey, uh, confers a lot of dignity on people. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, totally agree with Heck that. Heck yeah, I agree. Well, I wanted to get into too, because we've been talking about politics and stuff like that, but also you're a Jew that turned Christian, right? I am. Yeah, I know. Just, I, I, you, make sound, you make it sound like something in a cartoon, like, poof, you're a Christian. Boing. Yeah. Boing. Uh, you wrote a book called The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. And I want to talk about that, and then I also want to talk about, because it's really cool. I, I found out about you through the Daily Wire and your show, uh, but... Uh, I stumbled upon a, a video too that you, where you were talking about the homosexual community, the gay community. We'll get to that in a minute. But you are are Jewish, and uh, you said you're in the book. It says you're a secular Jew, and then you 
change to Christianity? How did that happen? <laughs> or, or, or at least give us a, a sneak peek it, yeah, it's a, of the it book. It was a 35-year process, so it's, it's hard to tell the story because there, there was no like real uh, road to Damascus moment. But what, what really happened to me, uh, you know, it's, it's a two-pronged story. One is a, a personal journey. Uh, I had, I've lived at least two lives. I mean, the, my life until I was 28 was uh, basically a life of, of depression and uh, twistedness and anger and uh, and ended with like a real a real crack up, which was solved by a therapist. I mean, a psychiatrist actually cured me. It had nothing to do. It did have to do with God, but it had nothing to do with religion in my life uh, and, and brought me to a place where I was able to be a joyful, you know, operating person uh, in the world. And at the same time, I, I was in love with books. I was in love with Western culture. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be part of Western culture. And as I studied it and as I formed myself, I began to realize that I could not maintain you know, to be a secular Jew is to be as far from being a Christian as possible, because not only do you have that animosity that some Jews have to Christianity because of the history of anti-Semitism, but you also don't believe in God. You know, you're a secular person. You think the whole thing is ridiculous. So you're pretty far away. But over time, I just began to realize that nothing I believed made sense without God, that you could not say the thing, the kinds of things that were coming out of my mouth and, and just have it actually um, be, be true. When I, when I, what I realized, I grew up in the time when uh, moral relativism was first taking over the universities. The idea that there's no such thing as good and bad, which is a very common idea through history. And the idea that, you know, all cultures are equally good and all ideas are equally good and you can't condemn anybody else's ideas. And very early on, I realized that you cannot maintain that. You cannot mean that is not true. You cannot say that a culture that enslaves black people is as good as a culture that does not. You can't say a culture that puts Jews on trains and gasses them to death is as good as another culture. You just can't say it. And it doesn't matter to me. There was a time on this planet when every single human being thought slavery was right. Even the slaves, they may not have thought it was right for them, but they thought slavery was just part of life. It was still wrong. It was still wrong, even though everybody believed it. And once you say that, once you say that there is a moral order in the universe, you're ultimately stuck with God. I just didn't know it. I just couldn't admit it to myself for many years. And so finally, uh, I did admit it. I just, it just, as I became saner and you know sharper and more educated, I realized I couldn't continue to not believe and I began to pray. And at the time that I began to pray, prayer just transformed my life. And uh, when it transformed my life, I, <laughs> at this day, I, I, was, I had lived around the world, but I was now living in California. And so you pray a lot in the car in California because it's the only time <laughs> alone. And I was, I was driving in the car and, I'm, and I said to God, you know, I've been praying to you for five years. And you have transformed my life. My life is so much better. It's so much deeper, richer. It's full of joy. I, you know, it, it all comes from you. I'd been through grief and happiness, and all through that, I felt this joy of God's presence. And I thought, what can I do for you? You know, you're God, and I'm like nobody. You know, so, and it came to me like a flash. This almost a voice. It wasn't quite a voice, but it was just you. Now you should be baptized. And I said, I'm driving along, and I said out loud, "You got to be kidding me!" You know, it's like, I mean, this was, it would, you know, it was going to get start trouble with my father. Right. It's going to make it hard for me to work in Hollywood. I was terribly afraid that I'd start. I'm a tough guy writer. I write crime stories. Yeah. I was terribly afraid I was going to start to write like those horrible <laughs> the Notebook or <laughs> romance novels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like you know, yeah. the little girl who lost her bunny, but yeah. she's <laughs> back, you know? and, uh, and so uh, 
uh, you know, it just created all kinds of problems for me. And that's what the book is really is the five months when I just went over my entire life to make to see if I could find a loophole, uh, to see if I could find that I had gone taken the wrong path. But the fact was that once I made the, I wouldn't even call it a leap of faith, a little step of faith of believing that there is such a thing as good and evil in the world, that there is a moral order to things, everything else followed. And uh, and once I saw that it was that logical, I really had no choice. And uh, it was one of those things with my, I, I had the exact same spirit experience with my baptism that I had with my wedding. Uh, when I got married, I thought, I'm already living with this girl. You know, what's the difference? It doesn't really matter. And the minute the wedding was over, I thought, no, that ma- that was really important. That, and that was one yeah. of my best decisions. I had the same experience with my baptism. I thought, I'm already there. It's just a little ceremony I'll go through. Um, I did it in the dead of night. I had a friend, priest friend do it. You know, my wife wasn't even there. The minute it was over, I thought, nope, that was, I did the same. Well, you did it by thing. just you and a priest and that was it? And, and, and witnessed a couple of witnesses. And witnesses. And what, and what denomination or what, what Episcop- type of? Episcopalian, yeah. which is yeah. uh, a kind of, it actually is where I am in that I, my, my theology is Catholic, but I'm not a Catholic, you know? Mm-hmm. So it is where I am, but the Episcopal Church is kind of tanking very quickly, so it's a weird, <laughs> a weird place to be. That is funny. Um, uh, I, so uh, and so, you went full Christian. You didn't even like Messianic Jew or anything like that, right? Like no, was- I'm not. I'm not a Messianic Jew. I, I actually believe that there is one baptism for all of us, and uh, and that we're. Uh, I mean, now and again, I like to give it to my Gentile friends a little bit, but like, <laughs> that, you, know, that we, you know, we came first, but, uh, but no, uh, in, in all truth, I just. You kind of leapfrogged a little bit there with, with exactly. the Gentiles. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. But, uh, but no, I, I, I truly believe there's one, you know, uh, holy Catholic and apostolic church and we're all part of it. You know? Do you believe in like the idea of a Jew? Jewish people being the chosen people or Israel being the chosen by God? Like, where do you land there? Yeah, I believe I believe that God chose the Jews as like the doorway back into the world after we kind of cast them out, uh, that he used the Jews to, to come back uh, into human history. And um, I think that that uh, I always I always kid the Jews if God asks, you know, my, my brother once said that God chose the Jews because no one would volunteer. And <laughs> sometimes I sometimes tell the Jews if, if God offers to choose you again, just, eh, you know, don't don't go there. <laughs> but uh, but no, I do think that, uh, look, you can't look at the history of Jews and not think that this is a special people. Um, you know, where, where are the Babylonians? You know, where are the ancient Romans? Where are the ancient Egyptians all gone, but the Jews are still with us. And that's kind of bizarre. There's no one else of whom that's true. Uh, so yeah, I think they're very special people and are God's children in a very special and unique way. Yeah, that's really cool. I wanted to ask you too, I, like I said, I stumbled upon that video and I just thought you just had a really clear almost beautiful way of talking about uh, the gay community or, or, or your beliefs. And cause I mean, that can, that, that is a real uh, hot button issue, homosexuality, especially within the Christian uh, world. That's super 2016. Toby. But your take on it, talking about love and how not being in the, or being in the center outside the center. I don't know if you can just recap it for well, us. And, I, I, I get, or, I get so much flack for this. I get yelled yeah, at really? by uh, this more than anything else. Uh, you know, 
there's a lot a lot of uh, Christian thought over the years has, has come through uh, Thomas Aquinas, who kind of put Aristotle together with St. Paul and Jesus and, and came up with this brilliant vision of Christianity, which I pretty much agree with. And part of that is this idea of teleology that in order to know, I think it was C.S. Lewis said, whether it's a, a corkscrew or a human being, in order to know if it's any good, you have to know what it's for. And and from that, uh, they they have developed this philosophy of uh, that, that gay homosexuality is against God's order because sex is for a certain thing. It is for procreation. Uh, and and it, yes, it's for binding people. But Aristotle also said something else, which is he said that you can use something for a greater purpose other than its own. So if I'm carrying my computer and a guy attacks me on the street and I whack him on the head with the computer, that's not the purpose of the computer, but it's a, a viable, perfect purpose. And so when I look at gay people, like I see that they don't feel the way about about things that I do. You know, like obviously, if you can fall in love erotically with a man, if you're a man who can fall, you're different than I am. There's something different about you than than me. That's just not going to happen to me. And so maybe they're not at the center. I mean, at the center of human life, I do believe there is a man, a woman and a child. I mean, that to me is observationally true. That is the center of human life. But I don't understand why everything off center is bad. I don't understand if something is off center and it's full of love and it's full of respect and it's uh, full of uh, and, it, and it's a consolation for the pains of life. I don't see why that's not just a petal off the center of a flower, you know, like, I mean, that, you know, just to come up with a metaphor, but I, I don't see why uh, that has to be condemned. It, look, if it, if it's if it's sinful, leaving leaving the Bible out of it for just a minute, because you can read the Bible a lot of different ways, as we know. But but if it's if it's a sin, one, it's not my sin. So I don't understand why I have to worry about it. It's not hurting. If it's not hurting anybody else, if we're eliminating all the other sinful things that go with sex, promiscuity, uh, betrayal, hurting people, violating people's free will, all those evil things that come with sex sometimes, if you get rid of all of that and you're talking about two people in love with each other, respecting each other, I don't understand where my judgment comes into it. I, I, you know, um, if, if God, I think people should pray every day. I think they should pray out loud. I think they should listen to God. If God tells you, you shouldn't be doing this, listen to him. <laughs> but, yeah. but if I tell you, you shouldn't be doing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so is that making, uh, sex? I mean, there's, there's Christians who believe you should only have marital heterosexual sex for procreation too, right? Like right. that, that's a right. view that they're so silly. They think a man and his wife shouldn't have sex for fun or with a condom, or for any other thing. And right. so so your view is saying that homosexual sex, is all, gay sex is the same way. Like, yeah, okay, well, that's not the main idea of what sex is about, but fine. Yeah, that's but pretty much Of course much, you can have sex with your wife for fun and not procreation. Of course you can have sex with a man if that's what, you know. You know, like, at, 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 my, at my age, we're not going to be doing any procreating, mm -hmm. but I'm crazy about my wife. Yeah. I've been chasing her around the room for 40 years. Mm -hmm. I'm still doing it. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't really want anybody else's advice. Yeah. What, what, I don't right. need anybody else in that relationship. Me, It's me and my wife and God. That's it. Even you though know, you I, realize that you can't do the thing, you're not doing the thing that you're supposed to, you know, it's not, it's right. not on that level of, of, of thing to... To analyze and, and judge, and when you bring this up to people who talk in these terms, uh, they get they get a little flustered. You know, who, you get, who people, doesn't like this view? Well, I, I I've interviewed a bunch of uh, people on my show, uh, priests and theologians, uh, and they always bring up the Aristotle argument: you're not using sex for what it's for. And when you say, well, you know, can't you use it for, to a higher purpose of of love and affection and consolation? They really don't know what to say. They don't really have an answer. 
And I, that's when people start screaming at me. They mm-hmm. scream at me when these guys can't come up with an answer. They, I get these. But it's not uh, the gay community that doesn't like it, or they don't like it. Also. No, the gay, the gay community is it really appreciates me. Okay. I mean, I think you know because because okay. I think, you know, <laughs> listen, I, I have felt this way my whole life. I, you know, okay, so we're talking about a time when I lost friends over this. People came over my, I've been in the arts my whole life, so a lot of the people I've known are gay, and a lot of people I've worked with are gay. Some of the great people, bad people, good people, all kinds of people. Um, and, and so people would come over to a party in my house, and they'd find a gay couple there back in the 80s, you know, and and they wouldn't come back. You know, they would say, I'm not, you know, they're just not going to be your pal anymore. And I'm sure some of those people are walking around with rainbow buttons now oh, and for calling sure. me names, you know. But, but I felt, <laughs> you're right about that. <laughs> you know, so so I, you know, I I really do. I I feel like Jesus said, "Love God, love your neighbor." Everything is built on that. The law, the prophets, it's all built on that. And so I guess I feel like if I get to a place where I'm not really being loving, and I can quote scripture, and I can quote the law, and I can quote the prophets, maybe I made a wrong turn somewhere. You know, maybe I want to go back. It's. I'm not saying I'm not a theologian and I'm not a priest and it's not for me to declare whether something that somebody does that isn't harmful in the world is a sin. It it may be. It may be that a gay person gets down on his knees and says to God, should I be doing this? And God says, no, you know, listen to him. You know, that's that's my feeling about it. But if but as far as I'm concerned, my job is just to love you and be your pal and be for and be there. You know, I mean, I don't. And and I'm very I got to be honest about one thing. I'm very suspicious about Christian churches that will cast you out for being gay, but that have workshops for you if you're divorced. Yeah. <laughs> workshops. <laughs> I mean, the, reason, the reason I'm suspicious of that is Jesus never said anything about being gay, but he sure came down divorce very yeah. hard. Right. And I've certainly seen more people do damage to themselves and their families through divorce than I have through Ooh, being gay. Though point. I've seen people do damage for that through that too. You know, so. That, that's I don't I don't know I just don't, I don't get it I don't get the yeah and and to take that even further because some people could say yeah but if you may, if if you get a divorce I mean you made a mistake God can forgive you of your past even if you, I mean especially if you admit that it's wrong but Jesus goes so far as to say no you're committing adultery if you marry someone else like you so you are living a life of sin is what Jesus is saying yeah yeah and I mean I, I and you know. He he was the word, so I assume that he chose his words carefully. He had a very short ministry, so he wanted to say what he had to say. It, the fact that he never addressed this issue, uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean I, I don't read anything into that, but I certainly mean that I, it doesn't seem to be the center of his religion. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be the center of his right. worldview that this this was important. I mean, I'll tell you another thing. You, you want to drive Christians crazy, tell them that there is no place. There is no place in either the Old or the New Testament where it says you should only have one wife, you know, you know, (laughs) I mean, so, so, you know, there's another thing that I'm really for. I'm for monogamy. I think polygamous societies are really damaging to women. Um, But it's not in the Bible, you know, I mean, so I, I, I just don't understand how all of this, I, Listen, I study the gospel every single day, and it's the most profound journey I think a mind can go on, a mind and a heart can go on. I, I almost never think about the sex, about sex in those terms. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, like, it seems to me it's tell, talking about something so much richer and deeper about the, the human experience in its entirety. And when we all end up yelling at each other about who's doing what to whom, I think maybe we're missing something, I, you know? 
I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm missing something, but that's the way I feel about it. Certainly. This is a libertarian way of looking at it. That I'll yeah, stay out sure of your bedroom, is. and I, you know. But, but <laughs> yeah. it's interesting. I think after you've been saying all this, I think I understand a little bit more. Like you're making a really good point. It's how do you use your resources? I think that's maybe what you're saying across the board with everything. But like even talking about the gay community, it's you know, are you condemning somebody with your love? You know, your love is it condemn? How are you using your resources? Your love, your wealth. Your your time in history, all of those things. So, and you're right. You you should be a, you, good can come out of you. Just like you said, if you save somebody by smashing a bad guy over the head with your computer, you use that computer really well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And somebody's saying, "Well, that was not God's plan for that computer." I right. think, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, who are you? Who you know? Where are you getting that? Are you on the phone with the guy? You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, well, we're I, over tied to categories okay. and camps yeah. and th- words and their meaning versus the truth behind them, and that's just a shortcut mentally. And I, you know, you kind of understand that. But I appreciate the work you've been doing, Andrew, of thinking clearly and trying to take principled stances and then they have the outcomes they have but it's clear if you listen to you regardless of if you agree with your certain policy or position or principle even it's clear that you're doing the nuanced thinking of trying to walk out the implications of a principle that you believe and then you can talk about it and that's what we're supposed to be doing and that's that's i I think that should be apparent some people will be triggered too quickly by some thing or an outcome of a principle that you have reasoned rightly or wrongly but that (laughs) you should really hold you know, you should. I hope people can really hold their emotionality down enough to try to at least get to the what, what principles we're talking about and why, and if we're right or wrong about them, whatever. We'll figure That's that out. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I, and how much easier would it have been for you just to stay silent on the issue of, like, the gay community? It would have been easier yeah. for your life. Like, you right. actually did the work, the intellectual work of thinking on about this like you do with everything. So it's not based on, uh, you know, homophobia or not hom- whatever. It's based on the actual data that you have, which I really respect and appreciate. Well, I, I really that. appreciate that because there are too many people who like jump, they, who think that you're trying to pull something, you know, when I really am committed and have been my whole life has been a big principle to try to find out what's true. Do I make mistakes? <laughs> no, I've never. And of course <laughs> I make mistakes. But, but, you know, I am just trying to find out what's true, what helps, what, what makes the world better you know what brings us all a little closer to each other and god let me make one more point that should be obvious to people but i don't think they think about a charismatic good speaker with a powerful brain and a platform like you if you wanted to stir up more stuff take more aggressive stances just to your benefit or political and commercial advantage i suspect you have no problem doing that (laughs) and so therefore you should take more seriously the things that that the positions you hold that are you know, nuanced or difficult or, you know what I mean? It's, it's pretty easy yeah. if you wanted to ramp this whole thing up and become more of a shock jock and get more followers. And I mean, you know how to do that and you're not doing it. So it, I, it, you can't be accused of that in my book. And I think that hopefully is apparent. People love absolute certainty. They love rules. Mm-hmm. They love it when you smack your fist into your palm mm-hmm. and say, you know, it's this way. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I you know, in, in all honesty, I know this cost me audience to, mm-hmm. to have views like this that are a little bit all over the place. But, uh, you know, again, you just got to follow the truth. And if you're not doing that, what, what are you doing? What, you're yeah, right, you, what's you the didn't, point? Right. You didn't make one of our listeners completely satisfied and happy. That's, that's <laughs> the good work. That's the good work. That's, that's, that's why right. I'm here. That's I'm here exactly to make everybody right. annoyed. <laughs> make everybody, annoyed or, or make everybody think is another way to put that. But thank you for yeah. doing it. 
Hey, yeah. well, thanks a lot. I really yeah, where, awesome. where can people find you and plug your book again for us? Yeah, the book is called The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. I would love it if people would go on Amazon and buy some copies. Uh, you know, it, uh, it's got all five stars, it's got four, over 400 five-star reviews, so it's really, uh, th- people like it a lot. And please listen to The Andrew Claven Show. Yeah, it's on The Daily Wire. Mm-hmm. Right awesome. on. Appreciate Andrew, it. Andrew, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. Very nice. Good one, yeah. Toby. Glad to talk to him. I've been listening to the show a little bit before, and I am a fan, I would say. Yeah, Toby. Good one. That's all you can say, Matt? I say good Toby, No, I say good, good one, one because Toby is doing the book. He does booking for this and labeled and breaking it down, and he does a really good job at it. And I'm so – I'm like – I'm proud of him doing it. <laughs> I don't even know how to say it, but it just feels good to see somebody doing something and they get, they just, I don't know. It's just, it, people don't often, people do things you tell them to do or pay them to do sometimes. And it's, it's yeah. whatever, but you know, Toby has got a little bit of a natural knack here and it's so satisfying to see somebody do a thing that they kind of do naturally and serve a productive purpose. It's just always well, satisfying. Well, one of the things that I, I, and I, it's just so intimidating and it makes me scared a little bit. And I, I just, you know, even uh, having Austin Hartke on, uh, the, on the other interview, um, I, I want to have whoever will come on and speak what they think. And I don't necessarily need mm-hmm. to defend it. Like we were talking about Sam Harris and, and Bart Arman earlier. Like I'm glad that they just said what they thought, and then I can Me think too. about it. And like, and we were able to disagree. I disagree with some of the stuff they said, but like I don't need, I, like I don't, I, I don't need. Hey, wait a minute, you, you, do the, Like the idea is like we, we let you know, like when we had Owen Benjamin on. I don't agree with everything Owen Benjamin said, but I'm very happy that it's able to be said, and you can decide, the listener. What you think? So I want to bring on a wide variety of guests from the any direction possible, whatever beliefs possible. Bring them on, and then you know we can have some fun and think about it. We're gonna have you know. I'm well, let try me and ask get you this though: guests, people but. would point out pretty quickly say, "Well, why don't you have on more super left people or whatever?" That would I be. try all the time, and I don't think they want to come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I promise you. If you knew the amount of emails that I send to people considered on the left, or, or that you uh, won't name more, here, more, but I'm not gonna. Know. I don't want to embarrass anybody. If they don't want to come on, they don't want to come on. But I promise you, I send out so many emails a week, and I am uh, disturbed by how little response I get from people that might inform us of stuff. What that do you I'd think like their suspicion is? I mean, just to be I honest, I, I, this whole thing drives me we're crazy. We're Christian. We're, we're bro Christian, and and they think we're I don't know what they think. They, they uh, think we're dumb, bro, uh, mongoloid idiots or something. I don't know. <laughs> they, they think we're what do they think we're? They think we're, uh, dude, like, yeah, Jesus, Jesus is real is cool. cool, and uh, you know, like like we, uh, I, I, I think a lot of people, certain kind of whiskey right now. Do y'all want to take a guess? <laughs> but I mean, the, the problem is what, that idea is that, that superiority complex, and, and I, we're, I'm putting words in people's mouth. Maybe they just d- d- or do they the think we're trapping or them or something? But, like, is that uh, maybe, or just maybe. they don't want to don't want to. I think people don't want association. It could be as simple as we're just three white males, three Christian white male middle class males, and that seems obnoxious. And, yeah. and maybe well, it I is. mean, I think a but lot I would of like people, their voice to come on. Yeah, I think a lot of people hear the name of our podcast, and they're probably thinking. Yeah, probably conservative Christians that think it's super awesome to say yeah. they're bad. I mean, our, our name gets us in trouble. As much as help as it's done, oh, sure. I think it's also gotten us in trouble. Uh, people on the far right, too, and especially 
very con- Christian conservatives, a lot of them won't come on either. I shoot yeah. I shoot a lot of emails to them, and there's a lot of mega church pastors that oh, ain't coming totally. on the Bad Christian Podcast. We get yeah. canceled by them a lot, too. And It's funny yeah. because it's not because they won't do the show because the show ain't big or whatever. They know it is. They'll book it and then listen and then cancel. <laughs> That's what happens a lot of times. And then some other I, people, I don't know. But I really bugs me on the count of, and I guess people can get as crazy as they want and tell me how stupid I am, but I guess you know what we're like. I promise you that my self-description is liberal and progressive. And I know people are going to go, oh, really? You just sitting there talking to Andrew Clavin, you had Owen Benjamin. I don't know what else to do. But I'm telling you guys, I identify as liberal and progressive. Yeah, I think I do too. But I, I, know, I know people won't agree with that. or allow, I mean, I don't even know what to say about it. But that, that frustrates me because I talk to somebody like that. And then I know that does a lot to, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't yeah, even I don't, know how to even deal with that kind of stuff. I don't know how politically liberal you are, to be honest with you. I'm politically I agnostic. Really I ain't voting because I don't give a shit yeah. about that stuff. I mean, I, I, I think this episode, for me at least, was a huge learning experience as far as, like, I didn't want to just camp out and argue uh, privilege and all of that, and I also don't assume that I've got it figured out, but I, <clears throat> I did feel like we, if we had a guest on, on the show that <laughs> you said like you had the to cry because co- you got something in your throat. <laughs> no, if, if we had a guest on the show that was saying the complete opposite extremes that he was saying, we would have been like, yes, totally. And I feel like we had hmm. to at least ask some clarifying questions and at least ask him to explain more and I agree with Toby. I mean, I want people to be able to, to Wait, you're describe saying we had their positions. Somebody, and and the I'm not even that, saying that the guy was wrong. But let I me do see feel if like, I agree with like, you on that. Sorry, I mean, we're talking um, delayed there. But uh, are you saying that if we had somebody on that was in favor of doubling the tax rate to give reparations to all black people to solve what we've done to them in the past, that you'd be, you'd go, be going along with that freely? Uh, no, let me put it this way. Propaganda would have gone all over this guy. Agreed. And and, okay. and we would have agreed with most of what he was saying, in my opinion. Propaganda. Well, I, I think you'd pre- I, I bet you propaganda, I would be interested. We could ask him. But uh, he probably would really not like, not agree, and have way more subtle points. And I bet you would still find yourself in the middle of those two, you know? Maybe the 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 comments that bothered me a little bit was stuff along the lines of if you want to help black people, then just make them beat you. I just don't think it's that simple. I understand well, where he's coming from, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's that simple. But and that then, is offensive. That's part of the part, like it, it to to where we're at in culture and where we're at with our thought process and what's going on is that, that also it should be offensive. Uh, black people can't help themselves, so you got to help them, white man. That that should be sure. just as offensive, right? So, uh, I mean, like that. But I agree with you. I think what Matt's saying, and and I, I think the idea here is, I'm glad that both propaganda and and, and Andrew Clavin can come on. You know it's what I mean? Not like that, that propaganda that, represents the far, no. far, any far left or anything, though. Either. And yeah. I uh, no, and Matt said this, and I totally agree. Like we all do agree. Like whatever Andrew Clavin believes, I I do believe our prison system, our drug laws are fucked up and really have screwed over black people. I, I believe a lot of the policies that we have done, like, uh, I won't even get into it. We don't have time to get into it. But a, lot of the, a lot of political stuff has fucked over different races of people badly. And we, we do, I, I, 
I, I hate just throwing around the term white privilege. What about white responsibility? I, like, the, like the idea of what what do I have and what can I do and what should I recognize and what can I change about my thoughts and where can what is the data? Like that's the thing too that's really tough about conversations like that because there is no way to extrapolate race from data. That's what's really tough. Like you can look at numbers, but it's still involving a group of people and what they you know, what, what lives they've lived, where they're from, what they look like, all that stuff, no matter what well, race you're talking about. I so tell it is you tough, but I agree with you. I, yeah, I tell you what I'm going to do. And we, I, I think we, we're all in the middle. Yeah, our, our episodes are typically lone little islands, but what I'm going to do is when this episode comes out, I'm going to text Propaganda and Derek Miner <laughs> and just ask if either one of them would consider listening and then coming on oh, the show. Oh, a white guy's going to text his two black yeah, he's friends. He's got a folder on his phone that says black friends, and there's two names in it. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> just those those just are the two kidding. black guys that have been that, on this podcast know, that I'm friends kidding. with. Y'all's kidding is hurt today. Jo- Joey has black friends. <laughs> <laughs> he's not racist. All right, what about that BC club that helps us do these shows and have well, different guests? Hit, hit up your favorite liberal, far left winger, whatever. Bring them on. We, we're not doing a bait and switch. I want people to bring things up and us discuss them and learn. I, that's what I think is awesome. I, I, I do get stuff wrong. We get a lot of shit wrong all the time. So I, I want every person from every walk of life to head this way. Be amazing. Yeah, yeah cool. And the BC well, Club can help that. Yeah. I don't know if we it, want it to... It. What? Go ahead, Joey. What were you saying? Oh. You hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Go ahead. Yeah, you hear us? I don't know if we want to <laughs> applaud the organization and tenacity of our BC uh, bad Christian manager, Reva, or the hard work of Taylor Atkins as the bad Christian club manager. It's either or, unfortunately, uh, so we're going to have to decide. Yeah, but anyway, we are all and Taylor up Atkins with is the heir of the Atkins Empire, Atkins Diet Empire, by the way. Go ahead, Joey. We have finally caught up on names. Now, I would imagine at this point, there's probably two or three that have joined uh, since before Reva sent that uh-huh. email. But as of right now, uh, we are caught up with names. And so we've done a really good job. And we have said uh, thousands of names. Thousands. Well, that is really good. I do want to say thank you to Taylor Atkins for running the BC Club. I hadn't said his name on the podcast in a little while. And Toby, while you're doing some booking, I would love for you to get Taylor on here. Oh, I'm um, getting him on. I want to go hard on him. Yeah, we'll go after him. But Taylor runs. What do you mean by that? Just get him, trigger him, attack him, go, hurt him, like make fun hard of him, him, make sport of him. You know, whatever we can do just to get the ratings and the reviews and the laughs. We're savage like that. No, so, I want to know what Toby meant by he's going to go hard. Well, since we don't have names to read, we read, I know one of Taylor's sins. Comes right out of Leviticus 19.31. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. That's gosh, the guy who's running the BC mm-hmm. Club. He was, just talking, he was just talking to me about that yesterday. But it's unbelievable. He used, he used King James Version too, right, when he talked to you. Why would it, you like, tell that, everybody that? Because like, people want the truth and they're they, going to get it. I don't job. care. Taylor's your friend, though. And he it still is my you. friend. He Sometimes the best you. thing for your friend is the truth. Did you ask permission to say that on here? I don't have to ask permission from no wizard lover. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a wizard lover, you don't need permission. <laughs> what are some other sins that Taylor, you just don't Taylor. need permission? <laughs> Man, that's hilarious. You just... People back in the day used to be called wizard lovers. 
<laughs> it was a taboo <laughs> thing back then. It was a real taboo and bad thing. <laughs> Taylor has a, that wizard fetish, you know. Oh, God. Oh, it makes me sick. <laughs> Just, he loves wizards. When I, when I think of wizard, I think of Orko on He-Man. Y'all when I think Orko? a wizard, I, I, I always I think totally good. I, I've never thought bad about a wizard. <laughs> I, I guess maybe the wizard in Lord of the Rings, one of them was bad, but or is Gandalf a wizard? I don't even know. Wizards always seem cool. Like they're, you know, they just seem like they got cool things going on. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. It just depends on how you use your magic. All magic is not of the devil. I mean, the Bible says that it is, but, you know, those people were primitive. They didn't know what they were talking about. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Let's get out of here. Peace.